You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. Well, today we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Foundations. What we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at some of the foundational beliefs and core doctrines of the Christian faith. We've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about absolute truth. We've talked about what we believe about God, who he is. We've talked about uh, the word of God, the scriptures, how we believe the scriptures are the inspired word of God. We've talked about salvation. Last week, we talked about what we believe about salvation. Today, I want to end this series by talking to you about the doctrine of the end times, what we call eschatology, uh, what we believe about the future, what's going to happen when we die, uh, is heaven and hell real, what's going to happen to planet earth, how is the world going to end, and what's really interesting is there's a lot of fascination around this topic in, in our culture, in fact, Hollywood has produced several movies about this, this topic, about the end of the world, how many of you remember back in the late 90s, we had Armageddon, you know, the asteroid was heading toward planet earth, and then we had, that was kind of a tearjerker, then we had Deep Impact, where this like comet hits, hits the earth, and why is it always New York City that gets destroyed, they're always picking on us, LA doesn't get blown up, but they, huh, they want to blow up New York all the time. And then uh, I Am Legend with Will Smith. That was an interesting one where like a virus wipes out all of humanity and Will Smith is like the last person alive in New York City. No traffic at all. Man, must be amazing. And then uh, the book of Eli. Do you guys remember this one? Denzel Washington, like a post-apocalyptic scenario where there's like one copy of the Bible left over. So it's interesting, right, that our culture really has a fascination around this topic. And then we know there are Christian movies that have been produced around this topic, the whole Left Behind series about the rapture and kind of imagining what the world would be like. And some of you grew up in churches where your pastor talked about this all the time. There was a real fascination about this. And, and, and for some of you, it was kind of scary. It was kind of weird. There was kind of this sense like the worse it gets for the world, the better it gets for us because we're going to rapture and get out of here. Anybody grew up in churches like that? And after years of counseling, you're doing a lot better now. <laughs> And, you know, there was this sense of, like, escapism. And I know when I was a kid, I grew up Pentecostal. We talked about this so much, this idea of, of the rapture, that whenever I came home and I couldn't find my parents, I'm like, oh, my God, did I miss it? You know, and I'd start opening up the book of Revelation. Like, what do I have to do? What are the instructions? Some of y'all didn't grow up in that kind of world at all. You're like, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. So here's what I want to talk to you about today. What have Christians historically believed about the end times based on Jesus and the apostles' teaching, okay? Not based on what some crazy blogger has to say on the internet, not on some random Google search. I want to talk about what Christians have historically believed based on Scripture, based on what Jesus said for 2,000 years. And so I want to start by reviewing the Apostles' Creed. This is something we looked at a few weeks ago. This is the oldest profession of faith in Christianity. It's called the Apostles' Creed because it's believed to be a genuine expression of the faith passed down to to us by the apostles. And some of you grew up in a more formal church where maybe you confess the creeds every week. We're a more contemporary church. We don't do that, but we believe these things. We believe what the church has believed for 2,000 years. And so why don't we read this out loud together? Because many of you grew up in a tradition where you read the creeds out loud on a Sunday morning in, in service. Let's read this together. We're going to put it on the screen. Go ahead and put that up. Let's read it together. Here's what the Apostle Creed says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he shall judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That just means the worldwide communion of, of believers all around the world. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. There it is. That's the Apostles' Creed. So from early on, Christians have believed according to the scriptures that Jesus Christ will return. He will physically return. There will be a resurrection of the dead. And there's going to be a, a day of judgment. And we're going to talk about that today. So to summarize what we believe, I want to read two uh, statements from our church's statement of beliefs. Uh, our, our statement of beliefs that are foundational for understanding what we believe about Christ's return. And these are on our website. If you've never taken time to read what we believe as a church, um, you should go to our website. If you've never been to Growth Track, we actually briefly go over our beliefs in Growth Track. That'd be good for you to do, to check those out. So let's look at this, the return of Christ. Here's what we believe. We believe in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the consummation of the kingdom of God, and the renewal of all things. We're gonna unpack each of those phrases in just a moment. And then here's what we believe about the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. They they that are saved into the resurrection of life and they that are lost into the resurrection of damnation. You're like, wow, thank you, Pastor Jeremy. I'm so happy now. That makes me feel so good. We're going to talk about damnation today. I'm so glad I came to church today. We're going to get into the end times. Like, I'm just trying to figure out how to make it on Monday. And Pastor Jeremy is talking about the end of the world and damnation. Hang in there. It's going to be good, okay? We believe, in a, we, we believe we have hope for the future. So I have a lot of good news for you today. This is called the blessed hope of the church, not the blessed fear of the church. Sadly, some of you grew up in churches where it made you anxious. It made you fearful. But how many of you know the Bible is full of good news and the story has a good ending? All right. So we're going to talk about five truths about the return of Christ. You're going to have to listen fast because I got to teach fast. We got a lot to cover. I want to encourage you to take some notes today. Five truths about the return of Christ. And I hope on the end of the message, you're actually looking forward to it. Here's the first one. Number one, we believe Jesus Christ will physically return to earth. Jesus will physically return to planet earth. After Jesus ascended back into heaven, after his crucifixion, his resurrection, we know that he, has, he appeared to the apostles. He ascends back into heaven. And listen to what the angel said to the apostles, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. They, the apostles, were looking intently up into the sky as he, Jesus, was going. He was ascending into the clouds into heaven when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The angel said, Jesus is going to return one day. We know that as Jesus was teaching on things to come in the future, he also promised that he would return. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew 4, verses 42 through 44, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the future, about things to come, and here's what he said. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly what a, when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man, which is just a prophetic title Jesus used to describe himself. The Son of Man will come when we least expect it, when it's least expected. So Jesus said, I'm going to return. You got to keep watch. And here's the reality. Nobody knows when I'm going to return. Now, many people have tried to predict the, the day or the year when Jesus will return. Back in 1988, there was this famous book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. It's all about why Jesus is going to come in 1988. Well, guess what? We're still here, right? And then this same guy wrote a book again in 1989 and then 93 and 94. And stupid people kept buying the book. Didn't he know that Jesus couldn't come back? Like the Yankees still had a lot of World Series. They had to win. Hello. 
And he's holding out right now because the Yankees have to get another one in. Hallelujah, Yankees fans, right? People have tried to predict it, but Jesus said nobody knows. And the point is you got you to keep watch. Here's the point. If you knew when someone was going to come and break into your house, you would be ready. New Yorkers would be ready. Come on. Come on, Bronx people in the house. You're like, yep, I'd be locked and loaded, ready to go. <laughs> We'd be ready to go. Jesus said you got you to keep watch. If you knew, you would make some preparation. The point is because we don't know the exact date of Jesus' return, we need to be ready. For 2,000 years, the church has confessed Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. It's this rallying cry to keep watch. I love the words of the old hymn, Blessed Assurance. We actually sang a little bit of that phrase in one of those songs today. Here's what it says. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Notice it didn't say filled with fear and anxiety and worry and doubt about what's to come. No, no, no. I'm looking, I'm watching, I'm waiting. But in the meantime, I'm filled with the goodness of God, longing for his return. As followers of Jesus, it's our job to, to keep watch, to long for his return. But in the meantime, to enjoy the fellowship of his presence, of his spirit, not to wait for his return with fear and doom and gloom. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 24 that as Christians, we're like the managers of God's house. And when you expect the manager to return one day, you live a certain way. Whether or not you believe the owner of the house is going to return affects the way you manage it while he's gone. Don't get quiet on me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to be prepared. I have entrusted something to you. I've left something to you. And one day I'm coming back. So be prepared. Number two, here's what we believe about the return of Jesus. Jesus will fully establish his kingdom. When he returns on earth, he will fully establish his kingdom when he returns. In the gospels, we read that much of Jesus's preaching was an announcement about the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus shows up in the gospels and he announces that the kingdom of God is broken into the world. And he begins to demonstrate that through healing, through saving people, through setting people free. And we know that ever since Jesus came to planet earth, his kingdom has been expanding. Two billion people who claim to be Christians on planet earth right now. But yet we know at the same time, in a sense, the world is not still, uh, is still not fully under his rule. There is so much that happens that does not reflect the rule of God. People rebel against him. People have, many people don't submit to his rule. People, uh, there's sin in this world. People do terrible things to each other every day that do not reflect his, his will. And so we know that one day Jesus will return to finish what he started and the kingdom will be fully established. Let me show you a scripture, Philippians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Here's what the apostle Paul said as, as he was writing to the church at Philippi. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So he's writing about the day that Jesus will return. He's writing about the resurrection. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he says this, Paul says, you're citizens of heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there who's going to come here. Notice that Paul does not say, your citizenship is in heaven, so we eagerly await the day that we're going to go live there. No. Notice he says, we eagerly, eagerly await a savior from there who will eventually come here. Now, Paul is writing to the Philippians who are living in this Roman colony, this Roman city of Philippi. They would have understood this. 
Because when the Romans conquered a new territory, we have a picture here of the ruins of Philippi. When the Romans conquered a new territory and built a city, they built that city so that when Caesar would visit that city, it would feel like Rome. And so what did they do? They built grand avenues with arches and columns. They built bathhouses and amphitheaters and coliseums so that when Caesar would come, it would feel like Rome. Here's the point. They understood that it was their job as settlers in the Roman Empire to export the culture of Rome to whatever territory they were living in. Hang in there, church. Here's the point. This is what we're called to do, not to escape this world, but to export the culture of heaven to this earth. This is why Jesus prayed that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Because guess what? One day he's coming back and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. His kingdom will be fully established on this planet. So it's not about escapism and leaving here and going to heaven. One day he's coming here to bring a new heavens and a new earth and his kingdom will be fully established. Church, guess what? The king is coming for a visit and it's my job to get things ready for him. As a follower of Jesus, that's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we pray. That's why we build and we work. And that's why we get out and we do something like a serve day. And we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because one day he's going to return and fully establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what Paul tells us? Our labor is not in vain. Because God is going to use it somehow when he fully establishes his kingdom. Here's the third thing. The return of Christ will include the renewal of all things, the renewal of all things. I told you there's a lot of good news about the return of Jesus. It's not doom and gloom. It's the blessed hope of the church. The renewal of all things. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching his disciples. And here's what he says. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's talking to the apostles. And he says, one day when I return at the renewal of all things, you're going to reign with me. Look at what the apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. He said, but in keeping with his promise and what Jesus taught, in keeping with Jesus' promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We long for the day when there will be the renewal of all things, a new heavens and a new earth. Earth. As I said before, this is what the church has held on to for 2,000 years. It's known as the blessed hope of the church that one day God is going to return. One day Jesus is going to return, fully establish his kingdom on this earth. And everything that was broken by the curse of sin will be redeemed. He will fully reverse the curse of sin. You see, you have to understand this. As we read the Bible, uh, the Bible isn't just a library, but it's a story. There's a story all that's weaved all throughout the scripture. I would call it the grand narrative of scripture. We know that it opens in Genesis with a story of creation, that God created everything, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. He made the seas and the, and the land and the mountains and the sky. And the pinnacle of his creation is when he created human beings made in his own image. He placed something of himself on the inside of us. But we know that something went terribly wrong. Human beings rebelled against God. And with that rebellion came sin. And the curse of sin brought death into this world so that the world is now in a fallen condition. In a sense, the world is not as it should be. And don't we experience that every day in our lives, that the world is in a fallen state. But God was not willing to leave it in that state. And God, from early on, began to work out a plan of redemption. And that's why he created the people of Israel, because he wanted a people to embody his redemptive purposes in this world. But the Israelites were just human beings like you and 
than me and they were flawed and they could never fully uh, do what God had called them to do. And so he said, I'm going to take care of it myself and I'm going to send my son to planet earth to redeem my people. So there's, there's the curse, right? And then there's the fall and then there's redemption. Jesus Christ comes and he lives a sinless life on our behalf, the life that we could never live, the life that his people in the Old Testament could never live. And then he goes to the cross for our sins and he breaks the power of sin. And then he resurrects to give new, new life. And Jesus opens up a time of grace and mercy, but he promises that one day he will return to finish what he started and there will be a restoration. So curse, fall, redemption, restoration. That is the grand narrative of scripture. Jesus will come and he will restore everything that was broken in the curse of sin. And this story has an amazing ending. Everything we've lost, every moment of brokenness, every loved one that we've kissed goodbye. Listen to me, we get everything back. That's how the story ends. God is going to redeem this broken world. And it's kind of like seeing a movie for the second time. You ever see a movie and the first time you see it, like you just really get sucked into it, you know, and like you're just hoping it's going to work out and it's going to end like you want it to end, you know, like a good old rom-com, you know, romantic comedy. And you're just hoping they're going to get together by the end of the movie. Like, please make sure they get together, right? Like don't end it like we're just separated from each other. Or there's some thriller and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen next and you're like on the edge of your seat and then the plot gets resolved and you're like, right? But then the second time you watch that movie, you don't watch it full of anxiety. You just watch it and you enjoy it because you know how the story is going to end. Church, here's, that's an example of what it is for us as Christians. Like knowing how the story ends affects the way you experience it in the middle. The renewal of all things means that we can live with hope. We can go through this life with hope. We know how the story ends. We know it ends with restoration. We know it ends with renewal of all things. So even though we're in the middle of it right now, even though we have some difficult days, even though we, we experience brokenness and hurt and we sin and we live in this fallen planet, we know one day we have a good Savior who's going to return and he's going to renew everything. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection has set something into motion that will be completed when he returns and we long for it. I love the way Revelation chapter 21 describes it. The apostle John said this in Revelation 21 verses four through five. He said this, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. That's what he's gonna do one day and we long for it. Point number four, talking about what we believe about when Jesus returns, when Jesus Christ returns, there will be a resurrection of the dead. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, some Christians in Corinth were actually preaching a resurrectionless Christianity. And so he gets to this, this point in his epistle, his letter to the Corinthians, and he begins to correct them. He says, if you take away the resurrection, like you're undermining the power of the gospel. And he writes this beautiful description. You got to go home and read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read a few verses. And he talks about the beautiful mystery of the resurrection. Here's what he writes. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. In other words, when Jesus returns, some will be dead in Christ. Some will still be alive. Verse 52. 
It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and those who are living will all be transformed. He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the return of Christ. Verse 53, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the church. That is the hope of the church. Paul tells us that at the return of Jesus Christ, there will be a resurrection. Our bodies will be transformed. We're going to get new glorified bodies that will never be subject to sickness and death again. You're going to get a new glorified body. Come on, some of you middle-aged people who've been complaining about backaches and knee problems, been going to the doctor a lot, been getting up to go to the bathroom every night like me in the middle of the night, four o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you're going to get a new body. You're going to be able to eat whatever you want at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and you're not going to gain weight. It's going to be amazing. Can I get an amen, somebody? You're going to look great in your bathing suit in heaven. It's going to be awesome. Listen, notice this, okay? Notice what Paul says. When Jesus returns, Paul does not say, we're going to be like a bunch of angels sitting on clouds playing harps. Kind of the cartoonish version of heaven we've, we've been given. Let me correct your theology real quick. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to have new, resurrected, death-proof bodies, sickness-proof bodies, and we're going to enjoy a new heavens and a new earth that are going to come together. This is Orthodox Christianity. This is what the church has believed. And I'm sorry that we've kind of gotten in the weeds with some of our, of our theology. We're going to rapture. We're going to go. We're going to leave here. We're not going to have bodies. No, no, no. Jesus is going to return. What do you do with the resurrection? If you don't need a body, then what's the whole point of you getting a new glorified body? If there's, if there's a new heavens and a new earth, and Jesus comes here to fully establish his kingdom, then you need a new body to enjoy that, heavens and, that new heavens and a new earth. Let, let me put it to you this way. The resurrection means Jesus not only conquered sin, but he conquered death. See, we human beings don't just have a sin problem. If all you had was a sin problem, then Jesus would have stopped at the cross. Think about that for a moment. He could have died on the cross and your sins would be forgiven and there would be no need for a resurrection. But here's the reality. We don't just have a sin problem. We have a death problem. We know that when sin entered the picture, then also came the curse of death. We know that we weren't made for, we weren't made for death. We were made for life. But death came as a part of the curse of sin. Let me just encourage you today. Jesus took care of your sin problem at the cross. He takes care of your death problem at the resurrection. His resurrection was a down payment on the resurrection that Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is to come one day. And so you know what that tells me? Your body is not going to just rot in a grave. But one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to call us forth. How is that going to work? What's that going to look like? It's called a blessed mystery. We don't know all the details of how that's going to work, but we just know that at the trumpet sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise. We're going to be given new and glorified bodies. The resurrection means that we don't have to live with the fear of death. What a wonderful thing. We don't have to live in fear of death. Jesus, Jesus, he takes away the sting of death. Verse 55 and 56. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Come on, thanks be to God. He gives us victory of sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, my uncle, we just had a funeral just over a week ago for, for my uncle. 
And uh, it was the most joyous celebration. Why? Because he knew Jesus. There was this sense like we know where he is. We know we're going to be reunited one day. It's not good goodbye. It's until we meet again. We were able to have a joyous celebration. What does the scripture say? We don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have the hope of the resurrection. Amen. I've told Amy, put it on my tombstone, lying here in sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Amen. That's what we believe as Christians. We don't have to fear death. Number five is this. When Jesus returns, there will be a final judgment. There will be a final judgment. The apostle John describes the final judgment in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 12. And then we're going to skip to verse 15. Here's what John said as he has this amazing uh, vision, this, this apocalyptic revelation. He says, then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, he's talking about Jesus Christ as he judges the world. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what he had done, what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's what scripture tells us. There's gonna be a judgment. We read about that earlier on when we read from the creeds that there's going to be a day of judgment. Not only is God a loving God, but he's also a righteous judge. And at the final resurrection, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and followed him, they're going to enjoy everlasting life. And according to the scriptures, those who have rejected Christ and God's ways will be separated from him in hell. And I don't say that with any bit of happiness today. This is one of the most heaviest topics in all of scripture and all of theology. Uh, but here's what I know. We have to take this very serious because Jesus preached more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Something like 70 different verses, verses where Jesus mentioned hell. And so if Jesus took this serious, we, we should take this series, serious. And I could do a whole message on this, a whole series on this, but let me just end with, with three questions this morning that may help us around this idea. First of all is what is hell like? Because I think there's a lot of fascination and people get kind of go down the bunny, bunny, you know, what is it, the, the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what hell is like. And there's so much imagery in scripture, flames and darkness and worms, and so much of it is symbolic. And the problem with trying to interpret the book of Revelation is so much of it is symbolic. It's conveying truth, but it's symbolic. And so rather than getting caught up in all the details of what hell's gonna be like exactly, is it eternal conscious torment? Let me just say it this way. Heaven is life with God and hell is life without God, separated from him. That is the basic idea. Heaven is life with God and hell is separation from him. In other words, if you walk with God and you live with God in this life, that will continue on into eternity. If you rebel against God and you live apart from him in this life, that also will continue on into eternity. So don't get caught up in all the details of, of what exactly it's gonna be like. Nobody's actually been there to write a travel brochure <laughs> of exactly what it's gonna be like. But we know that heaven is life with God. Hell is separation from him. Number two, is it fair for God to create a place like hell? That's a reasonable question. And let me just give you one thought about that. Isn't it interesting that even as flawed human beings, we have a desire for justice, don't we? We have a desire for justice. Like everybody wants a hell for Hitler, don't we? Like when we read stories of people who abuse children, rapists, murderers, terrible things that are happening in the world, dictators like Putin who are bombing innocent civilians every day, there's a sense of justice in us, right? There's a sense like one day that person should get what's coming to us. Now, if we as human beings have that sense of justice, how much more does a holy, righteous and eternal God? Guess what church, we're made in his image. 
So that part of us that desires justice, I believe that is a reflection of the fact that we're made in the image of God. And we should desire justice as we look at oppression and people doing terrible things to each other every day in this world. The theologian and writer J.I. Packer said this. He said, the character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. When the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed arrives, retribution will be exact and no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. When it's all said and done, no one will be able to say that injustice reigned in this world. No, God will put every wrong to right. And guess what? We long for that. We long for that. And hell is a reflection of that. Here's the third question. Would a loving God really send people to hell? And I wish I had more time to talk about this, but let me give you a simple answer. I believe in a sense the answer is no. I don't believe that God is desiring to send anyone to hell. I believe that people choose a life apart from God and God honors people's choices. He's given us free will. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Great Divorce. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. In other words, God has created us in his image. And I believe one of the hallmarks of being created in his image is he's given us free will. And if we choose a life with God in this life, that will carry on into eternity. But if we choose a life apart from him, God will say, well, thy will be done. You can have what you want. And in eternity, we will have a life without him. But here's what we know from scripture. Here's the good news. We know that God wants people to turn to him and be saved. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. This is actually about injustice. Peter says, you look around the world and it's broken and we wonder why does God let the bad people do what they do? And here's what Peter says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is his heart. That is his desire. That's why he's waiting. That's why the world seems broken right now. God is, is waiting and giving time for people to come to him. We know John chapter three, verse 16. I don't have to put it on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What does he say in verse 17? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? But that through him, the world might be saved. Listen to me, God is working to draw people through himself every day in this world by his spirit. He's drawing people to himself and he's using your testimony and he's using those who preach the gospel and he's using his word. And he's using the moral conscience that he placed on the inside of people. And he's using nature and science and he's using visions and dreams. His spirit is at work every day because his heart every day is for lost people to come home. Come on, he's the loving heavenly father from the parable of the prodigal son. He's running out to meet people every day. That is his heart. God didn't design hell for us. Hell was created for the devil and the demons. That's what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that Jesus has gone to heaven. What does it say? I've gone to prepare a place for you. That's the place that God has prepared for people. That is his desire. And so let me remind you again today, church, when you know how the story ends, it changes the way you experience the middle. When you know how the story ends, it changes the way you experience it as you're going through it. We don't have to live in confusion 
about what's going to happen in the future. We can live with, with assurance and peace, with blessed assurance, the blessed hope that Jesus Christ will return one day to finish what he started. He will fully establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He's going to renew all things. He's going to restore everything that was broken from the curse of sin. And why does this matter? Because we have days while we're waiting. We have days while we're in the middle of the story and we're longing for the end. And we experience disappointment and we experience hurt and we experience brokenness and we place loved ones in the grave and we grieve and we miss them. And sometimes we wonder, why is this world like this? Why do we go through the things we go through? Why is there so much injustice? Why do we put on the news and see war and a oppression and people doing terrible things to each other. And when we get lost in that question of why, I want to encourage you fast forward to the end of the story. One day he's coming back and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's going to be no more sickness. It's going to be no more death, no more suffering. We're not going to even live in a world where those things are possible anymore. He's going to undo death. He's going to undo disease. He's going to undo suffering. Behold, the one who sits on the throne and says, I make everything new. And we long for it, church. We long for it. Come on, the end of the story is not something to be feared. It's not something to make us anxious and paranoid. No, no, no. We long for the blessed hope of the return of our Savior. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you just bow your heads in a moment of prayer? Come on, can we just in our hearts begin to thank him for all that he's done? Can we begin to thank him for the blessed hope that we have? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for this story that we find ourselves in as we open scripture. We thank you that you are the God who is redeeming this planet, redeeming humanity from the curse of sin. God, we thank you because the the good news is even better than we thought it was. Thank you for reminding us today that we have a a hope and a future to look forward to. And we long for the day when you return and you wipe every tear from our eyes and you fully reverse the curse of sin and you redeem this broken world. You restore everything that was lost. And we long for a day where we enjoy a new heavens and a new earth. And Father, I pray that we would live with that hope, that we would live with that hope, God, on the days when we don't understand why this world is like it is, that we would know we were made for another world that is to come and we long for it. Father, we thank you that it's your desire that none should perish, but that all might come to repentance, that we don't have to live with a fear of hell, but we can live a life with you now. For anybody in this place who would say, I want to make sure that I have that assurance. I want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus. When I die, I want to make sure that one day I'll be in that new heavens, that new earth. Come on, would you just pray with me today? Here's your invitation. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, you can just say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm crying out to you today. Save me from my sin. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I turn to you today. I turn from my sin. I place my faith in you. I recognize that I cannot save myself for the judgment that is to come. But I trust in you today. I turn from my sins and I turn to you today. I believe that you are who you said you are, the Son of God, that you lived the sinless life on my behalf, that you went to the cross for my sins and you were resurrected to give me new life. And I place my faith in you. I throw myself in your mercy and your grace today. I choose you as my Savior to follow you. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer today, for every person who recommitted in their heart today. God, we thank you that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no fear in love. We don't have to fear the judgment that is to come. 
because we've been made right with you because of your son, Jesus Christ. And sin, death, hell, and the grave have been conquered. Behold, you make all things new. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.